But the marvel of this book of Acts is that persecution did not prevent evangelism. Indeed, from here on, the two go side by side. And persecution becomes the new norm. It becomes the thing that these people of God, these young converts, have to expect and live with. And instead of it getting easier, as we read down this chapter 8, we find that it became more difficult. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and I trust today God will work in your heart, draw you to Himself, as we minister the Lord's Word today from the pulpit of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale. In Acts chapter 8, we'll be looking at Philip stepping out in the midst of persecution as an evangelist. We will learn today that these two go hand in hand, persecution and evangelism. If we never speak up, we will never suffer much for Christ. But once you become a living witness, ministering the gospel of the Lord Jesus, then you will know something of that opposition of the world and the devil. And so today I trust you'll be uh, with us right through to the end. We'll have uh, another moment in Mark's gospel as we look at the ministry, the compassion of our Lord Jesus. Stay tuned now as we go to Acts chapter 8, as we let the Bible speak. When you read on down chapter 7 of Acts, you wonder, is this going to be the end of the church? And certainly it wasn't the end of the persecution. And the chapter division is a little bit suspect here, where chapter 7 ends and chapter 8 begins. Uh, we see that the persecution is continuing. And Saul was consenting unto his death. No wonder later in life the apostle had a great burden of responsibility and a sense of shame uh, that he, in these days pre his conversion, uh, that he was so active in persecuting the church of the Lord Jesus. And you might be asking just how involved was Saul of Tarsus in this persecution? Now, we know about him getting letters and going up to Damascus and dragging people and putting them in prison. If you turn to chapter 26, verses 10 and 11, you probably read the, the most enlightening uh, window into uh, the horror and the blood that the apostle Paul was guilty of uh, before he was converted. In chapter 26, verse 10, uh, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison. And so he testifies that he himself was actively involved in putting people in prison. And having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And then verse 11, And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. 
Now you can just think of this zealot, this young man, Saul of Tarsus, staring right into the face of young Christians, zealous Christians. They're in the synagogue, so it is still this period of time when the converts in the early church still attended the synagogue. It was the place where the word was presented and an opportunity was given to speak for the Lord. And you can just imagine this young Saul of Tarsus belligerently with fury in his eyes, looking in the eyes of these young Christians and daring them, or as it says here, uh, compelling them to blaspheme the name of the Lord Jesus. Those must have been horrible and wicked scenes and sights. And no wonder Saul of Tarsus was so greatly feared uh, when he was converted. And you know the account in Acts 16 that when he was converted and Ananias was sent to him and the word was getting out that to say, no, no, we're not going to touch him. We're not going to be near him. And it took some explanation and some confidence building to make those believers realize, no, no, he's really converted. He's really now a Christian. He's one of us. And the testimony of Saul of Tarsus at that time was indeed a very evil and fearful one. And we know that he was there at Stephen's death, holding the coats, and again, a party to the whole event. But the marvel of this book of Acts is that persecution did not prevent evangelism. Indeed, from here on, the two go side by side. And persecution becomes the new norm. It becomes the thing that these people of God, these young converts, have to expect and live with. And instead of it getting easier, as we read down this chapter 8, we find that it became more difficult. And because of the heightening, ramped-up persecution, it was required of them to leave Jerusalem. And we're told there in verse 4 that they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. And in the providence of God, by allowing persecution, evangelism was enhanced and it was speeded up because you know how long it takes missionaries and evangelists to get around to going. Uh, when committees meet and approve, yes, this missionary may go to the place that he is interested in, but you have to raise funds firstly, and you have to organize your own travel and arrangements, and of course, months can go by. And in this case, well, there was no time for committee meetings. There was no time for making arrangements. Uh, they were fleeing for their lives, and they just went wherever. And as they went, they found opportunities to preach the gospel. Now, in reality, this now became the fulfillment of the commission that was given in Acts 1, verse 8, that they were to be the Lord's witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then Judea, 
Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, Samaria comes up right here because in verse 5, we see Philip. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Now, when you read down, it is not down in the map. It is actually up on the map. It is northward about 40 miles. But it is down as far as elevation goes because Jerusalem is high. Samaria was more of an, a, a flat farming fertile area. And so it was really going downward as far as the, the travel is concerned. But as far as the map and north goes, it was really an upward direction. Unless you do what some people do is, you know, you turn the map around. Uh, then that just messes the whole thing of north, east, west, south. Uh, that messes with it. But in this journey, they went northward, and he came to this area of Samaria. Now, Samaria is a very interesting mission field because, of course, the Lord had preached there. And the Lord had talked to the woman at the well, which resulted in many people of the city believing on the Lord. And so a bit of work was done. The seed was sown, and opportunities were therefore uh, opening up. And with this persecution, and Philip now uh, cast out, well, he is ready to go. This whole chapter of 8 in the book of Acts is pretty much dedicated to the ministry of Philip. Now, there's Peter and John comes on the scene, but they really enter into Philip's ministry, and they give some assurance of the true conversion of people. But it is Philip's mission in chapter 8. The strange thing is that after Acts 8, we don't read a thing about Philip. It seems like he goes off the scene. And he ends up in the area of Caesarea. He goes to a place called Ashdod. That's mentioned right at the end of the chapter. Uh, Philip was found at Azotus. Azotus is Ashdod, that Philistine territory near the coast. And then he ends up in Caesarea. And that's where he concludes his ministry in that area. Now, his first success, his first mission was certainly very successful as he went to this area of Samaria to preach to the Samaritans. Now, there's two different histories to these people, Samaritans and Jews, and they had two very different ideas of who the Messiah and how he would come and where true worship would be situated. And they were both wrong. The Samaritan said, it will be here. The Jews, of course, said it will be Jerusalem. That's where the church will be. That's where truth will be. And, of course, they were both wrong, because Christ ended worship in the temple, and the church now is defined not as temple-goers, but as those who meet in Jesus' name. And they may meet in a house, they may meet 
in a barn. They may meet in a uh, wood. They may meet on sea. They, the church is where the people of God gather together. Now, when Philip goes to Samaria, he doesn't address those issues at all. When he goes there, he preaches Christ. And the church becomes international. It's no longer Jewish. It's no longer Samaritan. And then you have the Ethiopian that comes up in this scene. We didn't read that far. But you know something of the Ethiopian sitting in the, in the chariot, how he was converted. He had been in Jerusalem, was returning from Jerusalem, sitting in his chariot. So he must have been a proselyte to Judaism firstly. And then he was converted to Christ. You read of that here in verse 29. And we see Philip ministering to him one to one. Never, never despise one to one evangelism. The strange thing is that Philip was taken from a very busy place from Samaria where many were being converted, believing. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go down to Gaza. And of course, in God's plan, there was one man whose heart was being prepared to receive the gospel. And Philip left that area, and off he went. This is encouraging to us, because we think of evangelism, great campaigns, great efforts, great events, much organization. But really, it is something that we could be doing tomorrow this week, one-to-one, -one. somebody, somewhere, sitting or standing, that comes across our path, or we are led to their path, and we could be the Philip that God might use to open the Scriptures and show them the way to Christ. That is very encouraging. And in these days of small things, uh, we are not in days of revival. We are not in days of great numbers. But there's always the one. And I want you to be thinking tonight about that one whom the Lord might lead you to. Now, my final point tonight, and I'm jumping ahead just a little bit to tie this in, is that Philip was sensitive to the Spirit. The angel of the Lord spoke to him. The Spirit spoke to him. And he was sensitive to the leading of the Lord. That is very important in evangelism. We talk about the Lord laying someone on our hearts. You might be restless as trying to sleep at night. And God puts somebody on your heart. Or you might be sitting by your phone, and when are we not these days? Uh, and someone said, well, call him. Now, these are impressions, stirrings of the Lord that we need to obey. Because in 
evangelism. We need to be willing to speak one to one. But first, we're going to back up here and we're going to look at four steps to becoming an evangelist. Four things that we see in Philip's ministry and Philip's life in this chapter. We're introduced to Philip in a totally different setting from evangelism because back in chapter 6, we find that he was selected as a deacon. And there he is in the melee of this early church life, and there is a church problem, a people problem. The widows who are being cared for by the church, they are Jews and Greeks. The Greek women had a complaint. They complained that they were not being fairly administered to, that they were not receiving their portion of whatever, whether it was food or money or care, uh, but they felt neglected. Have we not heard that before? Someone that feels neglected. And so, uh, due to the busy times and the numbers involved, it is decided that the apostles should not enter into this business of uh, waiting on tables, but that they should appoint deacons. And seven men are selected. And if you look at chapter 6, verse 5, you will see their seven names. Now, look very carefully, because there's something very uh, different about these names. When you read them, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. So he now is that martyr, and he is one. The second one named is Philip, Philip the deacon. So this story is not about Philip the apostle, Philip who was a disciple of Jesus. This is a different man, Philip the deacon, and he was chosen among the seven. The other names are Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. They're all Greek names. Now, the problem was the complaint of the Greek widows. And to satisfy their complaint, they chose seven deacons, and it appears that all of them have Greek backgrounds. And you could imagine those widows, boy, this is good. We have got people that will care for us. And that became the solution in the church. And Philip started out in his service for God as a servant, serving tables, serving the widows, doing the things that were manual and this is the way he got started. He did not become an evangelist instantly. He served the Lord in this very manual way. Now, I don't know what exactly he had to do. Waiting on tables would mean uh, to me supplying food, um, distributing it, um, getting maybe feeble bodies to table to help them nourish one another. One of the problems in old age is just getting enough food in. Have you ever sat at the table of an elderly person trying to spoon-feed them? It's a time-consuming business. You better not be in a hurry. It takes time and patience. And the best care that you can give to the elderly saint and 
In this church picture, it is ministering to saints, God's people, and caring for them. Philip started his ministry in that manner. He also served locally, uh, right in Jerusalem, before the persecution became so difficult. And so he didn't go on some adventurous mission trip. He just dug in where he was and got right at the work. And there are needs all around us. Whether it's people needs or practical needs, there are always things to do for the Lord in his church. And Peter served locally. He also served cooperatively because he was only one of seven. And this was a task where he must have been willing to collaborate, encourage, assist, come alongside where needed. And so it was a cooperative work, team effort. And how important that is in God's work. You can't come in as a dictator. You can't come in and lord over others and say it's this way or the highway. You must come and serve and do so in a cooperative manner. And the point is that Peter served well. In 1 Timothy 3.13, that says that they that serve well in the office of a deacon do a good work. And that is the way to promotion. That is the way to further service in the days ahead. And this is a great lesson for us and a great lesson for any that would desire to serve God. Nobody starts at the top. Nobody starts in that higher position of responsibility until they're willing to serve and prove themselves in whatever the task and we are told that when we are faithful in little, the Lord will make us to rule over much. And this is a, a very practical and a very wonderful lesson that we learn from Stephen. And so if you want to serve God in whatever task, start even at the lowest and be willing to serve at the least. Welcome to another Moment in the Gospel of Mark. We're looking at the compassion of the Lord Jesus toward a leper. We read here in Mark 1.41, And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. The sympathy of Jesus. The word sympathy comes from the gut feeling, that part of our innermost being, what we read of in the New Testament, KJV, as the, the bowels of compassion. Now, what kind of Savior would you expect to come into the world to be your Savior? Would you consider a military figure as fitting or a business person? or a sleeking cultish leader, maybe a materialist, a hedonist, a jokester in a circus? What is your picture of a Christ-like man or woman? What did the Lord appear like? Well, we know that he was a servant. Jesus is the only one who got off his throne to serve a people 
who never wanted him on the throne in the first place and will not have him on the throne of their hearts. What did the Old Testament saints expect? Well, Isaiah spoke about a root out of a dry ground, a man of sorrows, a teacher, a branch. Zechariah spoke of one riding on a donkey, and of course, the Redeemer of his people. We know that the Lord Jesus is the revelation of the Father, like Father, like Son. He was holy, hot against flagrant sin, the open rebellious type. He was seen clearing the temple twice in anger against the money changers. The chief attribute of God in the Old Testament was mercy. We read in Exodus 15, Thou in mercy hast led forth thy people. And in the same chapter of giving the Ten Commandments, we read of God as showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And again in the building of the tabernacle, where there was to be the worship of the Lord, thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. And of course there God would meet with his people around the mercy seat. The Bible tells us over and over that the Lord delighted in mercy. Now, how did the Lord Jesus match up? His key attribute is compassion. This Lord Jesus had compassion on the leper, and he demonstrated this mercy and goodness. Jesus' name is compassion. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people. Jesus' nature is compassion. He exudes compassion. Jesus' ministry as mediator is merciful. He is full of compassion. And this is our Lord Jesus, whom we worship and serve. His whole life and ministry was to succor, that is, to extend help, support, and to bring life to those that were dying. And our Lord Jesus is the life of God that is come into the world. And we're to run to him. That's what we are to do in the time of prayer, that we are to go to him in any time of need to find grace and help as we need help from the Lord. And so look unto Jesus today as the one who is the very embodiment of mercy and compassion. And I assure you that if you turn to him today, that he will have compassion on you. Yes, he will hear your confession of sin. He will hear your cry for relief, cleansing, salvation, and he will bless you abundantly. So turn to the Lord, call upon his name, and enjoy the grace, the mercy that is in our Lord Jesus. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.l.com 
tbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Music.